join me in prayer. Lord, we do. We shout hallelujah. We, we are grateful. We praise you for being a God who loves us and would love us so much that you would send your only begotten son, that he might die so that we would live, that he might be shamed, that we might have honor, that he would surrender his power, that we might receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we worship you for all that you are and all that you've done. We are grateful. Lord, I'd ask that you'd open up our hearts and our minds so that we would grasp again who we are because of what you've given us and then how we're to live according to that. Let us be tender towards your leadings. Speak, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Oh, good morning, and thank you for joining us, like, and live and online. We're grateful for everyone who comes and experiences this together as a, as a family. I think that uh, you might have watched part of, I guess, COVID curriculum was uh, watching The Crown, it was a PBS series that was about the life of Queen Elizabeth, uh, who's currently the queen, and it talks, it goes behind the scenes. You learn things that you never knew about her life how she became queen and what it's like to carry that crown. When she was, oh, just a very young 25, her father, the king, died rather suddenly. And at that moment, she became queen. The moment his heart stopped, her life changed. And her old life was never to be longed for, not again. And now, now she wears the crown with all the responsibility, the weight, and the duty of that office. Well, she was jarred by the death of her father and was rather concussed realizing all that she was inheriting in in that place. And her grandmother, uh, the Queen Mary, wrote her a letter so that she could embrace the position and all of its determination with all kinds of dedication that she would need. And so she wrote this letter, and we know that now. This is a letter from Queen Mary to the new Queen Elizabeth about being part of the crown. She says, Dearest Elizabeth, you must put these sentiments to one side now that duty calls. Your people need your strength. I have lived to see three great monarchies brought down by their failure to separate personal indulgences from their duty. While you mourn the loss of your father, you must mourn yourself. For you have been replaced by a different Elizabeth. The two Elizabeths will frequently be in conflict with one another, but the crown must always win. The two Elizabeths will frequently be in conflict with one another, but the crown must always win. Boom. That's an analogy. There's a metaphor for what it's like to be a Christian. Suddenly, right, at the death of Jesus Christ, no, better still, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our lives are changed, and we get as a gift, not because we earn it, we get a new royal status. We are crowned into the royal family. 
We are royal priests. And that's why Peter is rolling this out for us. He's going to say, who you are will determine what you do. Your identity drives your action and your purpose, mind you. It gives you a purpose in life too. And so Peter says this about who you are. You don't earn this. You just receive this. You are God's chosen race, his royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's precious possession. That's what he said in chapter 2. And now in, in us, what's going on inside our souls, like Queen Elizabeth, is a war. There's a war between the old and the new, the, the flesh and the spirit, the, the common us and the priestly royal us. We are new in Christ. We have a crown to wear. And that crown, because of that, because we're part of this royal nation, the church is, we, we're on call. Like we, we are on duty. We're on purpose. And the purpose is to make Yahweh famous. We're ready and eager to do that. And so the war of temptation inside of us is a, is a war to distract us from who we are and how much that costs, the, the ransom that was paid in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that, so that we'll get off purpose so that we'll just take on our peasant self and do what our peasant self normally does, and that is cause division in things that are sacred, set apart by God for a purpose, like family and like the church itself. The crown must win. But how does the crown win? How does the crown win? How do, does the royal priesthood live in our lives daily. I'm glad you asked because in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 through 12, but we're taking three weeks to do that because there's three kind of sections. And so in verses 1 through 3, we're going to find out how we live like a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and God's precious possessions. In, in verses 1 through 3, it's actually just one sentence in Greek, and that's the reason you need to know that is because there's only one verb, and the one verb is a command, and, it's gonna, and, it, and that one verb is going to tell us how we can live. Like, how, do the, how does the flesh submit to the spirit? How does the old get away and the new live itself out in a day in, day out? And the word, that verb, is the word crave, crave. You want to live holy, you must crave holy. How do you live like a royal priest? You have royal priest cravings. That's how it goes. So, I mean, the simple outline in verses one through three, really simple. Stop doing bad. <laughs> Start doing good. It's all over the Bible. And then, in, in other words, take off the old you. Start craving like the new you. The passage itself, before we start there, it starts with the word therefore. And so the word therefore says there's a bigger context to this. So before we read the passage, the context is found in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we find out that we have been bought with a ransom, and the ransom was the precious life of Jesus the Christ. And because he bought us out of ransom, he has the right to tell us how to live, and we're to obey him. What does he tell us to do? Chapter 1 says, be holy and love your brothers and sisters. 
Be holy and love your brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. We saw a few weeks ago, you're on the same team with the same purpose and the same cause. And so if, if you know who you are and it's y'all, if we all know who we are collectively together and we're caused to this purpose collectively working, same team, loving each other deeply, making Christ famous, there you go. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, how can you make Christ famous? How can you make Yahweh famous if you're fighting amongst yourselves all the time? And how does that happen? Well, because our egos are bent towards division. And then <laughs> you add the power of like demons in our, in our lives that do all things they can to divide sacred things. The sacred things, the things that God loves, he, he loves to destroy. God loves unity in families. He loves unity in a church. And so the devil and our own bent ego say, well, let's blow up the things he loves the most. So we have to stay, we have to stay on, on task here, knowing who we are and the ransom that was paid so that we can continue to live the life of the crown with its responsibilities and all. So with all of that in mind, let's read the first three sentences of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Therefore, rid yourselves or put aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Look like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. What I'd like to do now is like summarize the passage itself and then we'll look into the details itself. Okay? So, He's going to say, stop doing bad, start doing good. He's going to say, put aside your old self. Put, put aside these, this old thing. Then he's talking about, he's going to list five attributes. There are like two attitudes and, 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 and three absol, ab, actual actions. And he, what he's referring to here is just like, it's, he's talking about, and then is put on the new or, or the start doing good things. He'll talk about crave pure spiritual milk. So (laughs) these things will keep you from this thing. These are sour and bitter, and they're going to ruin your appetite for the things God wants you to enjoy. So he says, put aside. Another translation says, get rid of. And it's a graphic term. The people, I think, originally reading this in the Greek would say, oh, right. It means, it literally means take off and often used for clothing. Get rid of that, get rid of that old clothing that you have. You can't You can't keep your old clothes on now that you have royal priest garments. You don't put that on over it. It's like it doesn't doesn't work. It's inappropriate. You hold it. Look, you need a whole new wardrobe with your whole new identity. uh, This came upon me once. uh, I was at a wedding. We were sitting around. It must have been a big table. There must have been five couples at the reception. And somehow all the guys got up and left. And I was with the ladies. I must have missed the cue. And, and once the guys were gone, they were relatively newlyweds, you know, within five years of each other. And they all started talking about how each of them, without knowing, had each rotated their husband's uh, shirts, at least shirts, but certainly most of their wardrobe, without the husband knowing it. And they were just kind of like exchanging like tricks on how a shirt just kind of goes missing. And we're like, no, no, I haven't seen that either. I know. And it was your favorite shirt. I know. I'm going to look again, honey. Don't you worry. And, I'm wa- and each one of them is telling a different story and it gets to Melinda. She's just like drinking this, like, not making eye contact at me, you know. Oh, I don't know anything about that, Matt. Boy, those bad girls. 
here's the point. Like, the, those shirts, that wardrobe is appropriate when you're living with five other single guys. I look at your ho- look at the apartment you live in. When you get married, yeah, you need a whole new set of clothes. You should, many of you. Anyway, here's a better, here's a, let me give you a biblical one, okay? In the early church, in the, like the early years, when you were baptized, you were baptized under, you know, immersion, right? The whole baptism thing. And the whole point of baptism is you died and you were raised again. You, you had an old life that's dead. You have a new life that starts all over again in Christ. And so to, to do that, not just, you know, just the picture of baptism itself, the people would, would enter, they'd start entering the baptismal and they would shed their old clothing. And by the time they got, got into the water, they were naked. Naked they came, naked they rose again, and then they were greeted with a whole new set of royal clothes, a whole new set of garments. That's pretty picturesque of taking it off, getting rid of, set aside. We got a baptism on June 6th. Some of you guys might be doing that. Let's do it like, let's do it like the way we're supposed to. We're not going to do that. We're not. But if you want to see that, you come to Israel with us, because at the Jordan River, there's some cultures that are still very close to that experience, and it's not anything that leaves your memory quickly. So, point is, get rid of it, and, and is get rid of these things, set them aside. What's also interesting in the passage in general is look at the list of sins that they're talking, that, he, that Peter brings up. In almost every epistle, there, there's a list of don't do these things, but these are particular because these vices are talking about particularly the unity of the church. He, remember, he starts with therefore, so he's talking about what, the context of what came before it, and in the context of that was like love one another, live holy lives and love one another. And so this list of vices are incompatible with true love and unity. These attitudes and actions are community destroyers. And so Peter's going to say, look, these things are often tolerated in a church, and there's no reason for this tolerance. These are sins. They're vices. They're destroying the unity of something that's sacred. So he says, stop doing bad, and then he's going to say, start doing good. And in the context of doing good, I mentioned royal priest uh, cravings. Told you before, it's one sentence, one verb, the word is craving. It's in the imperative. That means it's a command. Long for these things. Crave for this. Crave for this pure spiritual milk. It's like you want holy living? Do it with holy craving. Just to summarize, he says, hey, you want to grow up in your salvation? Do you? Yeah, you do. Okay. Then eject your old ego and your old self and crave the purity of the Bible. That's how you do it. So that's, that's the big picture. Look, let's look at details. Put aside, he says, put aside all malice, all malice. And, and malice is a general word. He intentionally picks this because it is general. It's all forms of hatred. It's evil desires. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thought of hurting someone else. You know, like a brother, again, he's in the context of a brother and sister. And he says, look, that... Throw away that old garment. It has no place now in this royal family. It won't work in the context of the church. Put it aside. He says, two, he says, put aside all malice and all deceit. 
Deceit, that's a, that's a general word as well. He picks that on purpose because it just means generally crafty manipulation. It means all kinds of deception. Because in the church, you know what royal priests speak? Truth, not deception. Paul brings it up in some of his writings. He said, you should pursue for those things that you are to pursue are to be honest, not just in the sight of the Lord, but honest in the sight of other men. Malice, it's like brazen, it's, it's loud, it's yelling at people, it's, it's being a bully. Deceit, she knows better. That doesn't work anymore. You always get caught or in trouble for that. Deceit is being crafty or sly. And Peter says here, you put that back. That doesn't belong here. It won't go with the crown. The crown doesn't win with the seat. His third attribute that we're to put away is hypocrisy. The opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity. I think the easiest way to describe it, hypocrisy is you probably know sincerely where you are, you know, the image you, that you project. If, if you're sincerely here, but you project an image like that's here, that gap, that gap is called hypocrisy. That's you pretending to be someone that you're not. And Peter says, that stinks. That outfit never looked good on you. It never would. Put away, put aside hypocrisy. Doesn't work. Then he says, put aside all envy. Envy, we know these words, right? We know the vice words, don't we? It's, it's resentment for, towards someone else because of what they have. Maybe their gifts, their attributes, their, like their life, right? Their whole life is better than yours. And we ends up getting us bitter and resentful towards that other person. And that's very easy to do, not even outside the church, but inside the church. Even in the context of church, we, there's envy. That it happens a lot in churches, happens a lot in churches, is a person becomes envious of what is passionate to them. Like if they're, if they're passionate about maybe one of their gifts of, of, I don't know, whatever it might be, teaching or prayer or ministry service, and they think that, and they like how much attention the other gifts get, and they are envious towards them, it shows up, it does. Or they have passion about maybe a place in the world that, that something happened to them when they went on this mission trip, and they think everyone else should go on this mission trip, and so they're envious that they don't get the attention that other mission or, you know, fields get. It happened, friends, I wish it didn't happen much, but it happens so frequently, and it's tremendously divisive if a person can't just relax and put envy away. That green with envy, it never matches anything in a holy nation. Leave it over there where it belongs in an old life. Here it is, the last one. I'll summarize. Putting aside all malice and all deceit, envy and all slander and all slander. Slander is just spreading rumors, telling lies about someone, probably because you're malicious or deceitful towards them. Those are the attitudes. And what's particularly, I, I don't uh, unfortunate for this verse or, you know, in this book, in this context, is Peter's writing a church where the entire culture around them has been spreading rumors, 
slandering the church, making up lies that they knew weren't true about the nature of the church and the people that attended. And so they know how much it hurts for other people to be talking about them. And Peter's just saying, look, you know what it's like to be a victim of slander and gossip, so don't do slander and gossip. And I'll tell you, in the history of the church, slander, gossip, it's probably the number one cause of disunity. And and Peter's saying, "It, it has no place here. Don't be a messenger of someone else's complaints. That's a great principle, isn't it? Don't be a messenger of someone else's complaints. If someone has a complaint in the family of God, in the church or amongst brothers and sisters, and they tell you, here's what you can do. You can be the person that gets those two people to talk again because that's how reconciliation happens. And that's what it says in the Bible. If your brother sins against you, go to them. (laughs) Don't go to everyone. Go to them. Let's help you guys have a conversation that filters out like all the noise and you guys can focus on the fact that you can love each other. You can enjoy each other. That's what you need to do. So in summary of this first part, it says, put down, take off, get rid of all those clothes, all those attributes that they make, they make your ego look big. Yeah, you wouldn't want to wear that, would you? Let's try to get that graphic out of your head. It's where your ego belongs. Stop doing bad. Do good. Start doing good. Crave this. So look what he says. Like newborn babies crave, long for the pure milk of the word so that, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. He wants us to be so clear about this single verb, crave, that he's going to explain. I mean, he's going to command crave. He's going to make an imperative, and then he's going to illustrate it. Then he's going to tell us why, like he's going to show us the goal of craving, and then ultimately he's just going to remind us, you crave this all the time anyway. You love craving this. Watch what he says. The first first thing he does is he says, crave this pure milk. And the picture we're supposed to be seeing in our minds when we read this passage is like a newborn baby craving pure milk from his mother, right? I mean, that's like trust, absolute dependence. It's a necessity for this child to live. It's a newborn. And I love how he, he attributes the word, he's, he's the word of God to purity. It's pure because even in those days, even in an agricultural uh, society, right? They s- still could like cheat you <laughs> and give you things that weren't pure, uh, add some chaff to the wheat. So it just fills up the bin, but it's not all wheat, right? Or like what we do, <laughs> we buy 2% milk or 1% milk. And he's saying, no, 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 you want the pure, the Bible is uncontaminated. It is, it is undiluted. It will never leave you astray. You crave that pure milk, the word of God. And when he talks about craving, he's talking about longing for it. And he's, he's commanding us to do that. What's very interesting here is look what he's not telling us to do about the Word of God. When it comes to the Bible, Peter's not saying, you need to read the Word of God. You need to study the Word of God. You need to memorize the Word of God. You need to meditate on the Word of God. You need to practice the Word of God. Doesn't say that. Those are all really good things to do. Those we do here all the time in as many ways as we can. But that's not what he says because he says the foundation of all of that is motivation and it's craving it. He says, crave it. Do you? 
crave another chance to read the, the, the Word of God, to, to, to read the Bible? Because a lot of times, the reason we don't crave the purity of the milk is because our appetite was somehow fed with good, somebody else's book about the Bible, you know, or junk food, lies and easy things that are not so good. And just like a parent, right, with his, with his child, don't, don't eat that before dinner because it's going to ruin your appetite for something later on. And what's later on? It's dinner. It's like we plan this meal and there's going to be protein and vegetables and minerals and those sorts of things. Don't eat the junk food. You need to keep your appetite for that. No one needs, no one needs an appetite for anything bluebell, right? That's going to come naturally. So a lot of times, the good stuff you have to learn to enjoy, and he's just saying, don't ruin it by being caught up in garbage or even the good. He says this. He says, have an appetite like a child. Do you have that appetite like a newborn? He's like, you bet I do. That's why I come here every Sunday. And I think, man, that's awesome. I'll see you next Sunday. But... That's not the illustration that he uses. Look at the illustration. Again, for clarity, he says, crave the pure milk of the word. How? Like a newborn babies. How do newborn babies crave? Loud, obnoxiously, redundantly, non-forgivingly. I mean, all the time. Right. Crave the word of God like that newborn. And the newborn isn't waiting seven days before feeding. Newborn is desperate for its life to be fed. It's the milk from his or her mother is its only form of nourishment. It's this or die. Right. Crave the word like that. Now you're starting to get it. And here's why. Look at the power. Here's why you crave. Here's the goal of it. So that by it, you may grow up in, your, in, your, in respect to your salvation. By it, you grow up. See how you're not causing your growth in your salvation. Again, it's, it's a passive verb here. I mean, this is beautiful because he's saying, look, let the milk grow you up. <laughs> like a newborn baby. Newborn baby doesn't wake up and say, I need to grow some. I'm, I'm, I'm a stretch. No, it's just like, just, you got a craving. Do whatever you can to get that craving met. Do all that screaming that you do. You're so good at That's all you got, Okay. It, the milk will grow you up. That's what Peter is saying here. You want to grow strong? You want to, like, enjoy what it's like to be part of a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood? You want the crown to win? Here's what he's saying. Crave the Bible and then answer those cravings. Every chance you get, every opportunity you can to read, you're trying to get the Bible's thoughts into your life. You're trying to, like, know the author. The Bible, it has the power to change the way you view reality. And you're going to want to think and feel and act like Jesus would think and feel and act. It's, it's an internal change that expresses itself on the outside. It's like you, you here's, a, here's a great metaphor. You want to be a sponge to the Bible and its truths and just soak it up. Because like a sponge, if you add pressure and you wring it out, what's inside the sponge is what comes out. If you soak up the pure milk of the Bible, what, when life, 
when life squeezes you, what will come out is the thoughts and the emotions and the actions of your king. And you're going to be a lot like wearing his crown. Now he's going to remind us. He told us the command to crave. He gave us a great illustration. Now what he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to remind us. <laughs> he says, I love how he ends it. Now that you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, you already tasted this kind of kindness. You've had the word of God invade your life, and the word of God can also be synonymous with Jesus Christ. You remember that? You remember how that tasted? <laughs> you remember how you just feel nourished when that happened? Remember when you read that passage just the last time and you looked at it and you paused and you felt like your soul like skipped a beat? Remember that? Yeah, you've had that happen. Do it again. <laughs> Do it. Just keep doing that. It's still there, the pure milk of the word. It's still there. It's right there. Let me put it like in words or maybe a, a metaphor that we can understand. You want, like, you want to get in shape? Here's the thing. You cannot out-exercise a bad diet. Ask anybody in the business of getting in shape. It's nutrition and exercise. You cannot out-exercise a bad diet. And so you've got to stop doing the bad. You've got to stop filling yourself with, now we're back to the Bible, we're trying to stop filling ourselves with sometimes even the good, but certainly the bad. All things divisive. All these things that are created and made up week in and week out to split things that are sacred. Do this. Like, let's do a 30-day cleanse. Like, this might be your application. 30-day cleanse, a 30-day detox. Don't watch, listen to any social media, nothing at all for 30 days except the weather. All you need to know tomorrow is, like, umbrella or shorts. That's it. That's all you need, right? Everything else, if it's big enough, you're going to find out somehow. You're going you're to find out. But watch what happens when you clean out the diet of putting away all those things that make you malicious or deceitful or envious, those vices. It's feeding those. Stop doing that. See what happens, 30 days. And then he says, like, look, you want to get in shape? Sure, sure. You can't, you can't out-exercise a bad diet, but you can't grow without a good diet. So, you know, I crave the purity of the word of God. Get on a good diet. Do it when you're doing this 30-day cleanse. Why don't you do a 30-day, like, whole foods nutritional thingy right over here and just read the Bible every day, maybe twice a day, five minutes. If you're new to this, five minutes. Then go to 10 maybe. Read the book of Mark, 30 days. Stop with the bad. Start with the good so that you can, <laughs> so that you can experience who you are because we have a purpose and we're missing it. We miss it because we get divided. We get divided, we can't be a team that is trying to make Yahweh famous. Crave the Bible, crave the Holy Word. That's what he's wanting us to do. Here's what I wanna to do to finish up. I wanna show you the context of what we're doing in these three weeks. Okay, I, wanna see, I want you to see how it all fits together. Peter is gonna be bombarding us in the first two chapters with identity. Because who you are will determine what you do, right? And so he's going he's gonna to just keep going after that because identity leads a lifestyle. It not only predicts who you are, but it gives you a purpose. And your purpose is to make Yahweh famous. Who are you? You are chosen aliens. 
You are a chosen race, he says. You're God's holy or royal priests. You're a holy nation. That's you, us, together, collectively, the church. We are God's precious possession. That's what he says. And so, and we're on call. We're ready to take action. We're in the middle of a duty. And in that context, we are to make Christ famous collectively in our unity. So, with all of that in mind, so that's what we, last week we talked about who we are. This week we talked about how do we live that. Well, we put off the bad things, old, and then we cherish the word of God and practice that. Next week we're going to talk about now what do we do with that? How do we apply that? Next week, I'm so excited about next week. So, let me, with that in mind, seeing the big picture of, of chapter 2, 1 through 12, I want us to finish with a giant meal, this banquet of the pure milk of the Word of God. Let me just read you what we've studied in the last two weeks and give you a teaser of what's coming next week. Let's just have some milk together. And here's the thing. Let's be this. Let's be this, Grace. Therefore, tack up, suit up your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that's going to be brought to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Therefore, put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That clothing doesn't look good on you. It's not appropriate to wear that. It makes your ego look big. So stop that. Instead, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. And by it, it's the milk that you will grow up into your salvation. Now that you've, been, now that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, this is who you are. You have come to him, a, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to God. You also are like living stones, are also being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wait, there's more to who you are and how you're going to live your life. He says this, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions for a purpose, so that you may make Yahweh famous, he who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Don't miss next week, because here's what we're going to do. My dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, they wage war against your soul. Live Live such lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's us. Let's be that. Let's be that. Let's leave all that petty stuff that divides us over here, behind us. Let's burn it. Let's have a big fire. Let's light our egos and ourselves and put them ablaze so that we can focus on things that are right and real and true, who we are, the ransom that was paid to get us that. So we'd have a purpose in life. Make Yahweh famous. Let's do this. Like as a church, let's do this. Let's be this. Okay? Okay, let's pray. There's two. Okay, 
I hear three. Or three, anybody? Three, anybody want to join me in this? Lord Jesus, we are grateful um, for these words of truth because they fly against a lot of the, the tapes that we have playing in our own minds. I keep thinking I'm, a, I'm still the kid that throws rocks at cars for fun. I'm just a thug. And you say otherwise. That little boy died a long time ago. Lord, I'd ask that you would cause us not to just crave this holy writ, but answer the craving by reading it, letting it absorb its way into our minds, our souls, our spirit, so that it, it would cause growth in us, so that we would never feel shame. We wouldn't feel that we were powerless, not with your spirit living within us. And we would never feel condemnation because your, your son's death and resurrection proved that bill was paid. So, Lord, until we see you in your return, I'd ask that our, we would, brothers and sisters, love one another deeply, live a holy life that's pleasing to you. We would make you famous. Lord, let us be that kind of church. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.